Amen. Uh, good morning, New City Church. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is AJ. I have the privilege of being on staff here at New City. Uh, and so I am glad that you've joined us this morning um, as we look at the end of John chapter 16. Uh, if this is your first time with us, man, I am just so excited that you're here. Uh, not because you get to hear from me, but because we get to open up God's word together. And for all of us, man, we get to see what God has for us this morning. And so I'm excited that we get to continue in our Upper Room series. But before we do, uh, I thought it would be good just to give you an update about our team uh, that's in the DR. It's been really cool to be communicating with them, uh, to hear about the things that they're doing. Uh, and I've just been really encouraged. Uh, they have uh, hung out with over 60 kids at a bas- uh, not a basketball camp, a baseball camp. Uh, with that, uh, they've done some prayer walking and they're worshiping uh, with our partner there. Um, uh, in the Dominican Republic, and so it's been great. I've heard of multiple gospel conversations happening uh, and people being prayed over, and so I'm really excited about what God is doing there, uh, and so I want to say thank you for partnering with us as we pray alongside them for their work and that we would continue to do that before they uh, come back home, and so we're going to be jumping into our upper room series. Uh, we've been in this uh, throughout the summer where we've gone from John 13, and we're going to uh, go all the way through uh, chapter 17. And so this is Jesus's last night with his disciples, and uh, we'll see in the next two weeks uh, how Jesus closes out his time with the disciples uh, by praying to the Father. And so we're going to see today the final teaching words of Jesus uh, in our passage, and it's going to kind of summarize what uh, we've been talking about and kind of how Jesus summarizes his final teaching. And so I love that we get to see that through all of this, even though he's leaving, through their belief and love for him, that the disciples can have peace. And that's our main idea even for today for us, is that uh, in Jesus, we have peace. And so throughout our time today, we're going to have four different ways that we're going to kind of pull this out of our passage. And so I've actually really enjoyed this passage. I feel like it's been a, a sweet balm for my soul. Uh, in just a busy life when a lot of things are going on, um, it, it's helped me have rest. It helped me have peace. Uh, when people normally ask how I'm doing, the thought that comes into my mind is a duck on a pond. Uh, it's just like cool, just like gliding along, like everything's good. Uh, but underneath, man, its feet's just, it's like going 90 miles a minute. And that's where I feel a lot of the time. I feel like a lot of us can just Uh, relate with not having peace in our life. We're anxious about what's going on today, or we're anxious about what's going on tomorrow. Uh, We we don't know, and so we're fearful about what's coming or what's already happened, and there's just all these things that give us uh, a lack of peace. when When I first thought of peace and I began to look at this, the thing that popped into my head was like the Miss America pageant, like what is your hopes and dreams? Man, peace on earth. You know, I think that's like what we want. Like Everybody wants peace on earth. And I think we can joke about that, but in the same sense, um, there's like a reality, man, we do desire that. We desire for peace on earth. We desire for peace just in our own lives. But I think we don't know how to get it or how to keep it. And so we have this like dilemma of what we're going to do. But I love, and we're going to unpack this a lot more in our time today, but the idea that the peace that Jesus is talking about is not just the absence of conflict or turmoil. Man, it's actually, it's with the notion of positive blessing. Man, when we have peace in Christ, man, there's joy to be had there. As we saw last week earlier in chapter 16, that this is a joy that can't be taken. That it's actually rooted in something that cannot uh, be uprooted. It can withstand any storm. It can withstand tribulation. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
And I think the world really strives for this type of peace. We strive for this type of peace. Um, I love books, and so I got on Amazon and just typed in peace and just was curious what would come up. And there was a lot of books on peace, some spiritual, some not. Um, there are books on mindfulness and meditation, on balance, how to uh, love yourself, how to declutter your life. And a, there's a whole slew of things to try to figure out peace. But in all these things, some of them are good. My house is actually a lot more organized because of them, okay? I, I know how to fold my clothes now to where I can fit more in my drawer. Like that gives me a peace of mind uh, as a guy who likes structure and order and how to do things. But it's not lasting, okay? All these things can be helpful, but they're not lasting. What the peace that we're talking about is that can only come from Jesus that is everlasting. And for believers, if you're a follower of Christ today, the question we need to be asking ourselves as we're talking about peace is, are we actually accessing that peace? Are we walking in that peace or are we being tossed to and fro by the world and letting it throw us off? Because Jesus desires for us to have lasting peace, a peace that comes from him and from heaven above. And so the only way that we see in our passage, and we're about to get to that in just a moment, is by believing and trusting in Jesus and his work, his finished work. And so we're going to see that, uh, and we're going to pull out a little bit this idea of that those that walk in Christ and trust in this peace, man, they're, they're not shaken. They're not thrown off when the world hits them and throws everything it has at them. But no, they're rooted and trusted in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one true God. And so we're going to see how peace comes about this morning uh, in Christ and how we're able to have that peace. And so let's look uh, in John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 25, so go ahead and open up and, or turn on your Bibles, and uh, let's jump in. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. This is Jesus speaking. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me. And I believe that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so that's Jesus' kind of concluding teaching to his disciples. And you'll see in John chapter 17 where he begins to pray to the Father. But I think where it... What we have before us here is just words chalked full of goodness and that we're going to be able to really unpack this. And so if you picked up on it, uh, verse 33 uh, actually is where we find the word peace, that in Jesus we'll be able to have peace. And so uh, what we can kind of take from verse 33 is it's this summary statement of everything Jesus has talked about in the evening with his disciples. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And so that's what we get to unpack today and kind of build out of that. Uh, and so in the beginning of our passage, you're not going to see peace, but we can unpack it knowing that everything's summarized out of verse 33, and we can begin to see these different ways that peace comes about in our lives. 
Because what we've seen throughout, the, the, throughout our series, and even especially in this passage today, is that the disciples in this instant are our representatives. What Jesus is going to say to them about their life in him is true for all believers and for us here today. And so we're going to see futuristic language about Jesus and what he's going to be doing. And so I hope that we can be encouraged by Jesus' words today, promising to bring peace to those who trust in him. And so like I've mentioned, we're going to have four different ways that we're going to have peace through Jesus. And so what we're going to do is just slowly walk through our passage today. And so the first way that we see that is we're going to see it in peace from knowing. And we're going to be able to enjoy that, this peace from knowing who God is. And so look with me again, just kind of starting in verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer will speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And so uh, as we look at Scripture, it's always helpful to remember our context. Remember what's going on here. And Jesus has just told his disciples uh, earlier in chapter 16 uh, that he's going to turn all their current sorrow, their upcoming sorrow, he's going to turn all of that to joy. And not just joy that is for a moment, but they're going to have full joy, joy that can't be taken. And so now he's going to move on to explain what he's been doing over the course of the evening. And what I see is like really his whole ministry, um, his three years of ministry. He's been speaking in figures of speech. And I, I feel like that's like a, oh, yeah, like, yeah, you, you've done that. But I really appreciate that because I feel like a lot of times I can read that and be like, Jesus, are you speaking plainly? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing or are you using this figure of speech to teach me something? And I think it helps us learn how to read our Bible and understand what Jesus is saying. And so thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit that reveals all truth. But I'm really appreciative that he actually just kind of said it and put it out there for us. Because then he talks about that the hour is coming. Uh, where he will speak plainly. And so the hour isn't there yet. He would have told us because he told uh, later uh, in our text that he told the disciples actually the hour was at hand. Uh, and so the hour is coming when he will speak plainly. And so that what we can uh, deduce from just our knowledge of Scripture and kind of looking ahead, uh, praise God, we have all of Scripture to be able to interpret these things, is we're able to know that this is out, meaning after his resurrection is when he will speak plainly. We get to see that in John 20 and 21. Uh, we see it in other gospels, and we even see it in the first chapter of Acts of where Jesus begins to speak plainly. Because things have been hard to understand for the disciples. They can be hard for people to understand what he's talking about because he's using figures of speech. And so, but when he comes back after the resurrection, he's going to be able to speak plainly to them. I appreciate how uh, John Calvin said this. He's an uh, old theologian that said we are stupefied for a time which helps us understand our spiritual poverty. That's just, that's helpful for me to hear is that sometimes I don't understand so that I can actually understand I have a need for someone to help me understand. So I understand I'm spiritually poor, but I need somebody to help me understand. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talked about this earlier in John and even earlier in this chapter of John, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reveal all truth. And I love that. I love that when truth is revealed, the outcome that we get is we can have peace. And so we get to see peace from knowing that there's a sweetness here that though sorrow and tribulation will come, God can speak to us clearly through the Holy Spirit and his word and we're able to have peace because we know what Christ has done for us. We know who he is, what he has done for us, how much he loves us. 
And I, I just really appreciate that. And so as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of my oldest son, Grayson. He does not like surprises. I feel like some kids, they like surprises. My, my, my kid doesn't. And I, I've learned this about Grayson, and I've grown to appreciate that. He gets stressed out, and, and I kind of get it. When you don't know something, your mind starts playing tricks on you, and you're like, I don't know. Like, it can just do a lot of crazy stuff. But I've learned how to love Grayson really well. Is I can like pick up on it when he's starting to get stressed or there's unknown. And I can just tell him, like, hey, bud, like this is what's going on. Whether we're watching a movie or we want to surprise him with ice cream, like, where are we going? Where are we going? I'm like stressing out. He's freaking out. Like, okay, hey, bud, like we're just going to go do this. Knowing gives him peace and it just washes over him. And it's this like sweet moment that we've learned as parents about how to love Grayson. Now, to be honest, he also then asked a thousand more questions. Uh, and that's okay, though. I think that's a, even just in that moment, it's helpful for me to realize if you answer one question, it doesn't mean all the other questions go away. But in that, there's peace that can be found and so much more that we can have peace from knowing uh, who God is and what he's done for us. There's joy and peace that knowing that God will never leave or forsake us. His word tells us that. His character and who he is tells us these things that we can know that. Because the Holy Spirit has revealed these things to us. And when we know that we can trust God, because God has shown himself to be faithful and true, we, we, we get that in the Old Testament about how he's continually walked with Israel and walked, looked after his people. He's been faithful and true. We see it in the life of Jesus. We can even look at our own lives and see those moments where we're like, no, I felt abandoned, I felt, but God, you were with me. You are who you say you are. And so we can trust him and know him. And in that, we can have peace in knowing that. And I love how it begins to build on this because what happens is when we can trust him, we can turn to him. And we can see our second point today that there's peace in prayer. There's peace in prayer. And we get to see that in verse 26 and 27. Look with me. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so we, we unpacked a, we've multiple times throughout this series, which I've appreciated, uh, unpacked what it means to, to pray in the name of Jesus. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but I just, we, I can't move fast this too fast because what a joy it is to be able to go to God in prayer. Man, what a, what a joy it is that we're able to approach the God of the universe and God, hear our prayers. It's a sweet and just wonderful truth that we can go to him and we have that access to him by simply trusting in Christ, by believing in him. Verse 20 says, by loving Jesus, we have this access to God. And we go in Jesus's name, not our own name. I don't come based upon what I have done I go based upon what Jesus has done for us. I come based on his merit, on his work. And so I, I mentioned earlier, there's this futuristic, like it's already what Jesus has done uh, in the, his life, but what he's about to do in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That gives us the ability to go to the Father uh, unlimited. And so I love that we get to do that. And I see in our passage, man, we have to continue to remember Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to come in this upper room. And he's preparing and he's laying a path for us today. Because for those who trust in Christ, we have a direct access 
to the creator of the universe, the God who holds all things in his hands, the holy, almighty God, the redeemer. We are able to go straight to him, not based on anything we have done, but directly related to the power that is in the name of Jesus. How sweet and powerful the name of Jesus is. Because I just love the fact that in all circumstances, no matter what I've done, no matter what's going on, I have access to God in prayer. And I love that because I can, I just, it's that moment where you're like, no matter what, if we believe and trust in Christ, we can go to him. Anytime, no matter what. And so I like, as I was thinking, I was like, man, I think, you know, man, God is just always approachable. I was like, I think I'm a fairly approachable guy. Okay, um, it's like you can come up, you can talk to me like let's you tell me you need something. I want to like help you out like that would bring me joy if you were like, hey, Jay, I got something going on. I'd love to talk to you about it. That would be wonderful. I, I'm always pumped about that. But I also realize that I'm not I'm not infinite. And so there's like a window to when you can probably like come and ask things of me. It's usually like 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Like that's a good window if you need something. You want to talk, you want to hang out, you got questions like sure, let's talk. That's a good window. Uh, but anytime outside of that, it's going to be a little harder to get up with me. Um, but out of that, there's a group of people, and we all have these people. Like, hey, you call me anytime. Yeah, you call me, whatever. You need something. You just want to talk. You want to be encouraged. You want to pray. Like, you just call me anytime, no matter what. I see, see my phone ring, text. I'm going to answer you. But there are three people in this world um, that have unlimited access to my time and resources. And that's my wife and my two boys. They are the only ones that can come to me at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, hey, I'm thirsty. I'm like, okay. But in that, like, I will get up and I will get them a glass of water. They're having a hard time sleeping. In that moment, I'm like, all right, well, let's sit up and solve the world problems. We'll rest in just a few minutes, all right? But in that, like, they have unlimited access to me. Whenever they need something, they call, I answer. But I just think in such a more better and perfect way, we have unlimited access to God in prayer. I mean, we can ask anything according to his will and his mission. And as we saw earlier in chapter 16, that God will answer those prayers. This is crazy access to God. But we have to remember, as we talked about throughout our series, it's, these answers may not be exactly as we prayed them. But it's going, these answers will come, and God's going to use uh, our prayers to further his mission. And I love that. I love that he has the big picture, and he just says, hey, come and ask, and I would be happy to answer these prayers and further my mission through you. And so I, I want to stop for just a minute and remind you that there is a lie that the enemy is going to tell you when we begin talking about prayer, and he's going to tell you, He's going to whisper in your ear that you don't have the right to pray. He's just going to tell you that. He's going to say, because of what you've done, because of who you are, all these things, you do not have the right to come to the Father in prayer. And on our own, we don't. But that's where Jesus stands in the gap and he says, no, you are clothed in my righteousness. You come based upon my name. Y'all, the enemy is a bold-faced liar. And he will tell you that because of what you've done, you can't go to him in prayer. 
either God doesn't care about it, you aren't worthy, you just fit in the lie of anything that says that you don't have access to God in prayer. If you are a believer in Christ, you have access. And so don't believe the lie of the enemy. Because anyone in this room can go to God in prayer. God desires us to come to him in prayer. Either to surrender our lives, to put our sin before him and confess that. Or just to ask anything in the name of Jesus. We can go to him in prayer. This is beautiful. And I love that we get to just have this. And we can see it even more beautifully played out as we look at verse 26 and 27 some more. And we see number three, that there's peace from the love of the Father. And it just continues to build on this. And we see it really looking at verse 27. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I, I hope that you just, just in reading that, you are comforted. Coming after verse 26 where we see that Jesus doesn't go to the Father to take our request to him. No, he, Jesus is there saying, no, I've paid their price. They come in the power of my name. They are clothed in my righteousness. They are able to come. I, Jesus does not have to take our request to God. We go directly to him. And why do we have that request? Y'all, it's simply because God loves us. That's it. There's only one reason why God has given us unlimited access to Christ, to, to himself. It's because he loved us. God loves you. We see it in our passage that if we love Jesus and believe in him as the son of God, then we have access to the father forevermore. And it just kind of hits me that, man, God loves us. That he loves you and he loved the disciples and he loved me. And in all of this, we get to see, man, he's the one that loved first. He loved us so much that he sent his son, his own son, depending on where you grew up, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We see out of 1 John 4, 19, that our love for Jesus and God comes because he first loved us. He has made a way for us to be a part of the family of God. He's brought us into the family through his finished work of his son. God looks on us as his own children and i just when i begin to sit in that i just begin to come overwhelmed with this peace of like no god loves me he knew all of my sin not just the sin that i had before becoming a believer but he knows like my daily sin all the sin that i'm going to commit today he knows all the sin i'm going to commit tomorrow and the rest of my life and he still loved me he still sent his son after me and if we have loved and believed and surrendered our life to Christ, then there's nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father. It's not, it's not based on anything that we've done. And so we can't be separated. If God brings us into his family, who can take us away from it? I mean, I praise God for the peace that I am his and that he is mine. We saw in James this past week during our Wednesday night study, man, if we draw near to God, he is going to be faithful and draw near to us. Man, praise God for the peace that comes in knowing that God loves me for me. And this just isn't that like tolerating type of love. Like, AJ, you're a sinner, um, but I've said this, and so I'm just going to like, I'm going to do it. You know, it's not like a tolerating type of love. Y'all, you know, I, I just, 
It's this type of love through which God pursues us. Man, when we're running from him in our sin and our rebellion, and he comes and adopts us into his family, now he comes and he just, he takes this just ugly, dead sinner and he rescues us. He pulls us up out of the grave and gives us a new life. He gives us a new heart and says, no, you are now mine. Yeah, it is one of these crazy, if I sit in, I'm just like blown away by what God has done for us and the way that he has loved us. That while we were still sinners, God sent his own son into the world to redeem, to save, to rescue us from our sin so that we could be children of God. Now we are, if we trust and believe in Christ, we are his children. And I just think of, man, just being welcomed into that family of God. Man, it's just beautiful. There's like, no, I fully am in it now. I, I remember this when I first, uh, when Jordan and I got married, I was actually just like slightly nervous about like merging families, entering into a new family. We have wonderful families, but, uh, but I also like thought of this as when you, you're friends with people in the neighborhood and they just like welcome you into their home and you're like one of their own. And it's just like this beautiful, like I'm hanging out with them all the time. I'm like one of their kids. Man, there's a, well, you really get to see this beautifully play out in, uh, in adoption. And when people adopt, and they just like someone who was outside of their family gets brought in, and like immediately it's theirs, like it's in. Uh, and as I said, when Jordan and I, we just celebrated 10 years on Thursday. Uh, whoop, whoop. Um, and so it was, um, I still remember being nervous about what it looked like, not to marry Jordan. She's awesome. Like, I, yes, like, thank you, Lord. Uh, but in that, I was nervous. Like, what does it look like to, like, enter into a new family? Like, what did that look like? And so um, uh, with my father-in-law, Ron, man, I love Ron. All right, he's just great. Me and him fish all the time. We're buddies, all that kind of stuff. But I see that there's a difference um, in the way Ron treats me than he treats all of his other fishing buddies. There's just a difference. And that difference comes because one day I went and I told him, like, hey, I love your daughter. Like, I am all about her. And from that kind of moment on, it was just like, oh, I'm no longer just a fishing buddy, but now I've been brought into the family. And it's sweet. Like, I'm just like part of it now. I take his side in all the arguments because there's three girls and two boys, and it's just fun. Like, I'm part of the gang. Like, I am all about it. I saw this when Jordan entered into my family. When I told my parents, like, hey, this is the girl that I am going to marry. I'm crazy about her. Before I told them that, she was this sister in Christ. She was this great person, but they didn't know her. You know, she wasn't a part of the family, and I told them that, and it was like a flip switch for them, and she is like all into the farthing family now. She has the same access that I have to my parents. Sometimes she talks to my parents, and I'm like, oh, I talked to Jordan the other day. What? Okay, cool. Like, it's, it's this sweet. She is just another daughter for them to love, and so there's this, this beauty in how we integrate into the family. I love that we get to go, and I get to go and talk with Ron and Carol as, a, as one of their children. Jordan gets to do that with my parents. And what a grander scale that we have this on with God the Father. We get to go to him whenever we want. And we have it because he first loved us, and now we love him. And it's based upon Christ's finished work. And we know that his work is finished because of what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now, Jesus came into this world so that we could have everlasting life through him. 
not a result of our works where we would boast, but simply because of God's grace and mercy and the finished work of Jesus Christ. He came on a mission into this world. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived the perfect life and died the death that we deserved so that we could be welcomed into the family of God, so that we could trust in him and have eternal life with him. And so I, I just want to stop and say, have you done that today? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you walking with him? Have you, you have access to this peace? Because if you haven't, that's, it's a free gift that God puts right before you. He says, believe in me. Trust in me. Just surrender your life to me. And so if that's something that you are curious about, you just have questions about, I would love to talk with you. Because it is it's this free gift that God puts right before us. It says, trust in me and you will have everlasting life. And if you have trusted in Christ, man, I pray that you see what God has given us here. That he has finished his mission. He's come into the world and now he goes back to the Father. And we, we know from other parts of Scripture that he spends 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples. He appears to many. He teaches them. Uh, and through him and the Holy Spirit coming, things begin to make, be made clear. And just as he said he would, we see in multiple accounts that Jesus ascends to the Father where he is now today, ready to welcome us home. I, I love that. What a Savior we have in Jesus. And so um, we have a bunch of texts left, and I know this, don't worry, all right? But we're going to pick up in verse 29, and I, I want to unpack what's kind of happening, and then we're going to get to our final and fourth point. I remember that there's a fourth point out there, I promise, okay? But let's pick up in verse 29. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave, you, leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so, uh, as we continue to remind ourselves, man, context, what's Jesus doing? He's wrapping up his teaching with his disciples. And these are his final words before he prays to God the Father. And I think in this moment, I see the disciples and, you know, I read it like, ah, we got it all figured out now. Like, this is, this is what's happening. We've got it. We've got it. And usually when that happens in Scripture and with the disciples and most people, they don't really got it. But in this, I think in this moment, what we see is they, they're beginning to get it. Like it's all beginning to click for them. We know, they've said that he knows all things and they don't need anyone to question him. I think that they, they have this faith in him and this understanding, but it just hasn't like fully formed yet for them. But I think they're beginning to see it and because the hour hadn't fully come yet. Jesus tells people when the hour comes. He told them that when uh, in just a few minutes we're going to look at them being scattered. The hour hadn't come yet for him to be speaking plainly. That's after his resurrection. But they have the basics right. They've lived three years with Jesus, and they've, he's told them about the Father's love. He's told them that he's going to go back to the Father, that a helper is going to come, and a new commandment to love one another as he has loved them. And all these things, they've seen it play out, that he's not one to be questioned anymore. And he's proven time and time again that he, what he is saying is true. He's the Messiah, the one prophesied about. And they believe, 
that they say, and they said that Jesus held all knowledge and power. And, but what I find fascinating is Jesus' response, because he just doesn't let up. Because he says, do you now believe? And y'all, I, I read that, and I wrestled with this for a while, of like, do you now believe? Because we see it. He says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Do you now believe? I read this, and I'm like, Jesus is throwing his hands up at the end of the night going, do you now believe, people? After all that I said to you, like now it is. But I, I think that's more like how I would react more than how Jesus would react. Because what we've seen throughout the night with Jesus is that he's tender and he's loving and he's preparing his disciples. And he, I think it's more of a probing question than one in frustration. Do you now believe after all that I've said? Because Jesus is still be speaking futuristically here. Like, there, there's this futuristic language, and so the belief that I, I see them having is he wants them to reconsider this bold statement. Ah, we now got it. We now know that you know all things. And so I think they, they make this declaration and all these declarations they made before, and they see that, have you really got it? Because their faith hasn't been made complete just yet. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't paid the penalty for their sin yet. He hasn't risen from the grave yet. They don't understand the extent and the lengths that Jesus is about to go for them to truly believe and see it all. But it's coming. It is coming. And we know that what is going to come, though, is that from Jesus' next line where he states a time is coming and is at hand, that they're actually going to be scattered. And we know that they're going to be scattered. Uh, our scripture affirms that. Uh, in John 18, we're going to see it that the betrayer, Judas, comes and he's going to come with soldiers and people are just going to scatter. And then we're even going to see Peter follows him for a little bit, but he's going to deny him three times and fall away for a little bit. And so there's going to be sorrow and weeping and lamenting, as we saw earlier in chapter 16. But Jesus gives us, I love this, a beautiful insight into how he and God are one. And that he's not going to be alone. Even though his disciples abandon him, he will not be alone. And this is just one of those beautiful truths in Scripture that you're able just to begin to see how it all connects. At least that's the way my mind works. Is he tells us that he's not alone, that him and the Father, are, the Father is with him. And so I think back to when he's being tempted in the desert by Satan after 40 days of fasting. And I'm like, oh no, the Father's not. He hasn't been left alone in this. Man, it's beautiful. And when he is... Uh, didn't have a place to lay his head when he didn't have a home to call his own when he was mocked and scorned and at one point the gospels tell us that they tried to throw him off of a cliff in all these moments when he's and it, it could be really easy to be just just downtrodden it's just that kind of no i'm not alone the father is with me and we get to see jesus walk confidently with peace knowing that god is with him because we see in verse 32 i'm not alone for the father is with me and i love that we can begin to see this type of oneness with Jesus and the Father, but also experience a connection with, with God in the same way because when we believe, the Holy Spirit is, lives inside of us. He is with us. He's revealing all truth. He's the third person of the Trinity. And just as Jesus was not alone, those who believe and trust in Christ, you are never alone. You may feel that way. You may feel like you're alone, but I can promise you if you trust and believe in Christ, you are not alone. 
Because what we can begin to see in looking at verse 33 as we begin to wind down our time is this, that I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Y'all, I love that Jesus wants his disciples to know and for us here today to know that it's in him that we are able to have peace. I, I love that, and I love that even though tribulations are going to come, hard times will come, and that's guaranteed. But Jesus ends triumphantly. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is where our final point comes today. Man, we have peace from victory. Man, victory in Jesus. What we have is this declaration that Jesus has overcome the world. When tribulations come, when the world hates us and rejects us, we can remember that Jesus has overcome the world. We can know uh, that Jesus, in this, that we're able to have peace, that no matter what this world throws at us, Jesus has overcome it. We can take heart, not because Jesus has promised we're going to have this hassle-free uh, life with no suffering. We can actually endure suffering because Jesus has said he has overcome the world. This means when Jesus has overcome the world, y'all, sin has no more claim on us. Death has no more victory. You know, Satan has no chance of success. Jesus has overcome the world. That no matter what comes our way, we can have peace in Jesus because he has overcome the world. I was reminded of a story that, that I've heard multiple times, and you might have heard it, about uh, Horatio Spafford. And so he lived here in the 1800s, and um, he, he was a believer, a follower of Christ. Um, he was a, a lawyer and a businessman, a, a man that had a lot, of, a lot of prominence in the community. But in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire financially just ruined him. He had bought a whole bunch of property in 1871, and then the fire came and burned it all up. So he tried to rebuild. A depression comes. It knocks him down a little bit. But he said, man, I got a heart for the Lord. I want to go be a part of this evangelistic campaign in England. And so he's bringing uh, his four daughters and his wife, and they're all going. And so he gets tied up because he had all this stuff in, in Chicago, and so he's not able to go just yet. And so he sends his wife and his daughters ahead of him on this ship. And while across in the Atlantic, they crash into another ship. And all four daughters perish, along with 226 people. It just, it's tragedy. His wife sends him a note saying, saved alone. That's it. And so Horatio you know, gets on a boat to go be with his grieving wife. And the captain points out the place where the ship sank, where the wreck happened. And in that moment and time later, Horatio Spafford uh, penned the hymn, It is well with my soul. I was just mind-boggling. 
that that's what he pins. We see in our passage today that Jesus speaks his last words of teaching to his disciples. And I felt like he just leaves us with the question, do you believe? Do you now believe? And that's the question I ask us. Do you believe in what Jesus has said? I, I can take from a passage, Jesus did. Jesus believed in the plan that he put together before the foundations of the world with the Father. He believed that his sorrow, the disciples' sorrow, and our sorrow would be turned to joy. Do you believe in what Jesus has done for you? Do you believe that he's overcome the world? Do you simply believe that God loves you? Do we believe that through Jesus we're able to have peace? Peace that comes from Jesus' victory over the world. Are you able to say, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. No pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul it is well it is well with my soul let's pray again god i thank you that you will whisper peace into our soul that you love us that we get to rest in your finished work not our work but your finished work on the cross and in that, we can declare, Lord, it is well with our soul because of who you are. And so we say thank you for that, Lord. We say thank you for what you have done for us. Let us worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen.